book fairies. This is Hot Off the Shelves. My name's Sonali. And this is Kara. We are so excited to have another show with you today. We are going to be discussing a book I've been waiting for for so many months. It is called Becoming Lida, and it's by Michelle Grierson. We were so lucky to be able to interview her on our show, so stay tuned and you'll hear an amazing discussion with the writer. Snarly. I have been doing pretty well. Um, I've been actually leaning into this sea ocean theme that we're in for the book that we're reading right now, which is all about the ocean and the sea. And I've been using that for like journaling and stuff. So I've been drawing a lot of lighthouses and starfish and shells. And there are all these like lighthouse quotes that I've been really into like for example I'll show you one of them it's called it says um a smooth sea never made a skilled sailor interesting okay and where is this quote from I don't know actually but I've been seeing it in a lot of like I do a lot of bullet journaling and so I've been seeing it in a lot of bullet journal spreads so that was one of them and then another one was um, something about how lighthouses are not goals, or actually goals are more like lighthouses, so they're not the destination that we should keep striving towards, but they're just like kind of like markers that we should keep looking for along the way to wherever we're going. And it's all about the journey and not the destination. destination. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, our last book also centered around beaches and island life. And it's a little bit different from the book that we're doing for this podcast. But it also had the the Jamaican, you know, beach view point. So that's pretty neat. Yeah. It, summer's the best because you really get to have fun with all of these, like, boat, bikini, ocean, ship themes. It's really fun. Yes. Well, I, on the other hand, I went traveling for a tiny bit. So I was in Iceland for about two weeks and and I got back about two weeks ago. So that was really fun. Um, a lot of hiking, uh, way too much hiking, but, but it was pretty cool. And the country is, you know, it's a paradise for anybody who loves nature even if you're not a nature ecotourism per- person, you should still go at least once in your life just to experience it. It's phenomenon. And and that was pretty much my my summer. Aside from that, I just work at the library. And, oh, yeah, the library is now open for in-person browsing. And pretty much we're back to almost how we were before COVID. I mean, sure, there's still a little bit of restrictions. Like, we still are not at 100% capacity, but pretty much everything is the same as pre-COVID. So book lovers go wild. You have freedom. Yeah. At least at the San Diego libraries. I don't know about where you are. Yes. And then if you guys know me from the podcast and you guys happen to see me at work, come 
tell, say hi, you know? I never know who's, weird, who's listening to us. Like, we actually don't know at all. So if you guys do love our podcast, listen to us regularly, give us a comment, give us a like, subscribe to us, and let us know that you're listening to us somehow. Yeah, I would definitely love to hear from another book lover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And... Speaking of oceans and and just summer themes in general, what adventures have you been doing lately? I think I well, I have been spending a lot of time at the beach actually, like with various people. So I've been doing a lot of like beach walks, and <laughs> they've been fun. But、um, other than that, not too much. Gotcha. Yeah, for me, I mean, like I said, the biggest adventure is Iceland, right? Yeah. So speaking of Iceland,、um, this book, Becoming Lida, takes place in Norway. So、um, if you know anything about Iceland origin at all, it's you know it's pretty close to、uh, Norway and、uh, Sweden and other Scandinavian countries, and also、um, it was under Norway at some point. So they do share quite a bit of culture and quite a bit of words and languages, and. Not only that, in Iceland, if you go during winter, you can see the northern lights, which is pretty cool. And if you guys have the book Becoming Lida in your hands right now, look at the cover. I mean, isn't that just gorgeous? And I think that green hue is like the northern lights. Yeah. So、um, I imagine this is the cover of the book is kind of what Norway would look like. Closer to the winter, probably not. Did it ever get this dark in Iceland? Nope, not in the summer. I、yeah. think we were we only experienced darkness for two days, and then even then, it's only maybe like two three hours max. But not this dark. No, not that dark. Okay, yeah. So the cover of this book for Becoming Lida, which is the book we're reading this month, it's um. The most of I think like two thirds of the book is just sky, like a night sky, and it's a beautiful sky. It has like all of these, all of the like gases and stars in the background, and then there's a butterfly. There's a glowing golden butterfly on the top corner, and then in the bottom you see like the shore. So it's kind of a rocky, dark. Sure, and it all looks very mysterious and magical, and you you definitely want to know more about what's what's happening in this ocean and night sky. Definitely, and this book explores quite a bit of Norse mythology. Well, really, you know, the clash of Norse mythology and Christianity, and and the author Michelle Grierson really dived into. Norwegian history, so it's pretty neat. I mean, this book is considered historical fantasy. Some people may may consider it more historical than others,、um, but it is categorized as historical fantasy. Yeah. So, enough of us talking about this book. Let's see what Michelle has to say, because she explains all of this way better than we could. So we are so lucky to have Michelle Grierson on our show, and I can't believe that this is the second podcast you've ever been on. I feel like we're so lucky、yeah. to be your second podcast host. 
Thank you so much fun. For those people who haven't uh, read the book, can you explain a little about what your book is about? Sure. Um, so the book is called Becoming Lida and it's kind of hybrid genre. It's, it's kind of sits between historical fiction and magical realism. Uh, some people are calling it historical fantasy. So it's, it's a book about um, a woman who is captured from the sea and the fisherman who falls in love with her and marries her and their very unusual daughter who has uh, blue hands and feet and webbed fingers and toes. Okay, so this book takes place in Norway. Is it the same region as modern Norway now or is it just the whole Scandinavian region? Yeah, so the, so the book I, I tried to, because I was doing a lot of research um, about my own Norwegian ancestry, so I, I kind of um, invented the village, um, but, but um, in my imagination, I kind of made it uh, sort of on the coast, you know, on the western side of Norway, um, and it's, it's set in the 19th century, so sort of early 19th century. Um, Christianity would have obviously been um, a huge part of, of that particular time period, but I kind of imagined that there would be pockets of people that who still believed in, in the old Norse gods. So that's how it's how it's kind of structured in in the, in that kind of a setting. Cool. Um, have you been to Norway before you wrote the book? Yes. Yeah. So um, I took a, um, a, a fairly big trip with my my son, who was nine years old at the time. And the whole purpose was for me to just walk the path of of my my family where they used to um, farm and fish. And so we, we didn't know exactly where, where that was, but we kind of, I just followed my intuition and, um, and, and went north of the Arctic Circle and then down the coastline and then um, kind of, you know, between uh, Bergen and Oslo. And it turns out when I came home, I actually got confirmed um, that, that, yes, that was indeed where my ancestry was from. So that was kind of cool. How would you describe your travels like was there a highlight um yeah well so we 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 did Iceland as well um but I I would definitely say like where you know my son at, at the time um you know he's 13 now but at the time this was his first really big trip off off the continent as they say so outside of Canada and we flew to um Oslo but then with, within two days we were we were north of the Arctic Circle and um, in, a, in an area called Lofoten, it's, it's, um, it's an archipelago and it, it, tons of islands and just beautiful. And he turned to me on the second day and said, mom, we found home. So that was very cool. Wow. So we felt very at home. Um, we did a road trip where we were just driving through the mountains. I rented a car and uh, we actually stumbled upon, just happened to stumble upon this huge Viking festival. Um, so we got to do that and experience like axe throwing and archery and all that kind of stuff. So it felt like the travel angels, angels were with us because we, we definitely had a seamless um, magical trip for sure. Yeah, I think magic and home are definitely two words that I think of when I was reading Becoming Lida. And I feel like it's such a like spiritual book. I don't know if you feel like that, but like when I was reading it, I kept thinking of like how all the characters have this sense of like, 
identity and relationships and it's all very like spiritual and and there's this like question about whether that like spirituality is from Christianity or not or if it's all just the same thing because that's also something some characters believe they say like I'll I'll pray to whoever listens and it's all the same anyway right yeah I I think like me I you know whenever I kind of dive into this um kind of research I I I just feel like all storytelling seems to be about like what does it all mean you know life in general so I I just felt the need to have layers of um you know different almost like a a a bigger broader cosmology holding the story and so so the layers uh that are in the book not only does time overlap but but um, the Norse, the Norse cosmology is definitely a part of what is underneath the Christian umbrella as well. So, um, and underneath that is just this idea that um, Maeve, the main character, is just trying to 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 figure out how to get home, which is for her the sea. I feel like you're you've done such an amazing job. Speaking of storytelling, you've done such an amazing job with all of the characters and then you also added different timelines it goes back and forth between what is like the present and then what was the past and then what could be and I thought that was really a cool way to tell this story because there's so many different flashbacks and it goes back and forth between perspectives too we hear Lida's perspective her mom's perspective and then every once in a while we hear um, another perspective like there's Lida and then her mom and then there's another woman who was in love with Lida's dad so we hear her perspective and that was really interesting because there's three very different women and and there are other women too and I thought that was that was cool because we got to see how all these women are treated in Norwegian like society and then how they're all like hated also which is like the most like striking thing to me like people really hate women (laughs) i really wanted to to show um that within one story there are so many different stories um and the story uh, to me that story was really about uh mava trying to figure out who she is and and her daughter as well trying to figure out who she is and at the same time they're trying to hide who they are so um, because they lived in this small village, just outside the small Christian village, there was almost a, a you know, just a, a, a natural prejudice about anybody who's different and they definitely were different. So that hatred I think comes from, you know, just the idea that they're, they're being othered, right? Like that they're just not part of the, you know, the tribe or the community and, um, and even within that community, there's a lot of um, suspicion of anybody who doesn't adhere to the status quo. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that that's part of part of a lot of our our history is that there really isn't um, there isn't really a, a time period we can point to where women are not um, being persecuted in some way. So, very sad. So, I don't know if you've heard of another author. Juliet Marillier, but she also writes historical fantasy. And I read one of her books like in high school, like 10 years ago or something. 
and I don't know if I describe some of it to you, you might see some similarities but it's also an amazing book and it has like some similarities but it's like clearly very different but I think when I was thinking about that book ever since I read it I've been trying to like recreate that experience like have you ever like read a book that was like so amazing and you wanted to like recreate the experience of like re-reading it the first time and so that book is about this girl she's growing up in like medieval Ireland and she she has six brothers and she's the youngest girl she's the only girl and she's the youngest one and she has an evil stepmother who gets married to her dad and this evil stepmom does like really strange really evil things and they don't nobody realizes that it's her causing all these weird things to happen and then eventually she has to flee the country so she ends up like lying down in this boat and she ends up in in Britain so she's from Ireland but she like lies down in this boat and then she gets rescued by um British men and like they fall in love and and it's the same thing where like she's unable to explain her story and nobody really understands her and her hair looks very different from the British people and everything and um she's also very like strong she she goes through like all these horrific things but she never loses strength and so I reread this like whenever I need I feel like I need strength and I was thinking, like, as soon as I saw Lyda, I was like, this sounds very similar. Like, th- this girl, like, is from the ocean, and she is rescued by a fisherman. And um, clearly, it was not, like, it was not what I was thinking, because I think the relationship between Peter and Lyda and Maiva is a little different. It's not, like, a romantic love story, right. exactly. Not exactly, but, but, it, um, but there is a bit of romance in there. <laughs> yeah. What's the name of that book that you, do you remember the title? Yeah, it's called The Daughter of the Forest. It's by Juliet Marler. And yeah, so it's so cool right. to have like another historical fantasy because you don't see a lot of those, especially like yeah. set in a specific country and time period. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, so I think, like, Sorcha from that book considers the forest her home, and she has, like, a spiritual connection to the forest, and there's, like, forest gods and Christian god and everything, and here, I think, like, Lyda considers the ocean her home, and so there's, like, right. a spiritual connection yeah. to the ocean. It's it's more of a, I, I want to say, like, because, because it is a retelling, I mean, I don't want to obviously spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it, but... Um, but it's based, it really is based on the, the, the myth of the Selkie. So I don't know if, if, if you guys know what the Selkie is, but um, it's, it's a mythological creature who is half human and, and half uh, seal. And so that story is actually all around the world. When I started doing research about it, I thought it was just in, you know, the British Isles, but it, it's actually, um, in Greenland, in the Faroe Islands, in Iceland, um, you know, it's all over the world. So, so I started getting really fascinated by how did, how did a myth like that, that's very specific, um, end up in, in so many cultures, right? 
So that's that's part of what frames the um, the narrative. Gotcha. Yeah, I recently just got back from Iceland about two weeks ago, so that was actually the first time I heard about the Mythoselki. So, which is really cool. Um, like you said, it exists all over the Nordic regions and like a few uh, Southern Europe countries, but mostly in the uh, the Nordic, the Scandinavian region. Yeah. So I want to get a little bit technical um, into um into the book how was your writing process like like what 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 did it look like day to day i i would say that i i i flip back and forth all the time between um diving into very specific research and then and writing a bit and then i would go back to the research and then i'd write more like day to day i would say when i was really um kind of immersed in it i would i would wake up look at what i had written the day before or kind of edit a little bit and then and then move on. So, it, but probably my days when I was really you know into the story would be at least eight hours, if not longer. But I'm also a full time high school teacher, so so it had to you know kind of jive with that schedule as well. So it ended up being that my free time was always um, you know beyond obviously um, taking care of my son, writing. So most of the time it was, um, you know, on weekends and at night when he would be in bed. Kudos to you. That's a lot of work. (laughs) You know, we established that this is a historical fantasy. So if you have to give the percentage, like how much would you say would be uh, historical? How how much would you say would be like fantasy? Wow, that's a good question. (laughs) Huh. Thinking about, I I, I would say... Um, in terms of like factual information, it's probably like maybe 30% and then the rest is invent based on that fact, you know, whatever fact I'm dealing with, I, I invent, right. Partially because I really love to reimagine, um, because it's so hard, like we have, you know, very little evidence of what it really like. Yes, we have you know, books and, and we can Google it and we can even go to the country and, you know, go through biking <laughs> museums or whatever. But, but ultimately we kind of have to imagine what it was really like. Hey guys, and if you guys are listening to this much so far, don't forget to give us a like, give us a shout out, give us a subscribe. You know what to do. Now back to the interview. How did you do all of your research? Because like, the book has a lot of specific mythological figures and like so many things that you had to have done a lot of research for so how did you read books or like are there any sources that we could look to if we wanted to learn more yeah so I so I would say that I I tend to rely on on books um I do use the internet sometimes uh, but but I prefer to have a book in my hands I don't know it's something I think about mm-hmm the visceral pages turning, you know, it just feels real, right? And you can feel it. You can um, kind of embody what you're reading in a way. So, uh, so I just, I just got my hands on tons of books 
And, um, and then of course, yeah, travel helped as well, because I would, you know, when, when I was traveling, I would gravitate towards things that had that kind of information that I wanted to know. So even when we went to, you know, north of the Arctic Circle, a lot of what we were doing up there was connected to the ocean. Um, we even, you know, kind of did, a, did some, some stuff on boats and in boats um, to just go, go see what it was like to be on the water. Um, and, and also, you know, fishing cabins and, and looking at how they used to dry fish and, and simple things like that, that would just in, inspire my, my writing so that I would have a much more uh, sensory based description rather than a technical description. So what would you say is the biggest takeaway of the book? I think the biggest takeaway of the book would, would be connected to um, finding out who you really are and, and, and just embracing it rather than trying to hide it. Um, and I think both Mava and Lida go through that. You know, the book's called Becoming Lida for, for a few reasons. And, and one of them is that, you know, Lida can't really know who she is until her mother reveals some, some, some of the ancestral secrets that she's hiding. And I think that's something to do with mothers and daughters, you know, um, daughters, I, at least in my experience, you know, being a daughter, um, when mothers don't embrace who they are, it's, it's almost like the daughter has to do a little bit extra work to find out because we don't have that foundation. And, and it's super important. So I think, I think the story really is about women embracing who they are, no matter who's around them, no matter you know, how many naysayers are telling them that they can't do this or they can't be this. You have to trust, trust that inner voice and, and also what, what's inside your blood. Yeah, there are times when Mava goes against everyone else telling her what to do and she, she keeps a lot of things secret because she knows she's doing the right thing but nobody else would believe her so she has to keep it a secret. But I was wondering, yeah. you, were, you were saying that her, you believe the story is about Mava, and the title is Becoming Lida. So I was wondering, do you identify with Mava a little bit more? And is that why you feel like it's actually about her? Well, it's interesting because some people, um, you know, say, oh, it's equally about both of them. And, and it is. Um, but I think... Um, Again, Lida is becoming, right? She's, she's young, she's, she's only seven and she's trying to figure things out. And, and her, her perspective is from first person and the rest of the perspectives are not. And that's partially because I wanted her to be that unreliable narrator that's kind of just witnessing and, and kind of not sure what's happening, but we get clues from that, but really, everything that she's witnessing and everything that she's noticing is connected to her mother and also her own becoming, right? Because, because she has this um, special ability that she can become things, right? So um, she's trying to figure out why, like, like how, how does this happen and why does this happen? And it's all connected to her mother. So um, it's, it's both of them, right? It's, it's, it, the story is about both of them, but um, in terms of who I connect to, I connect to both, I think. Um, 
I mean, I, I guess every author puts a little bit of themselves into every character, maybe, I'm not sure, but I, I definitely can identify with, with both of them, for sure. Which character was your favorite to write or the easiest to write? Hmm. I would say the easiest to write was probably Lida, but that's partially because she came to me first and she had a very, um, a kind, almost kind of like urgent voice. Like it felt like I, I was channeling her voice, like that, it, you know, that she was just telling me what, what to write about, you know, her experience. Um, I think the, probably the most fun was Hild just because she, you know, she was, um, kind of this, this darker, uh, more mysterious character. And, and also she was jilted by Peter, right. By Pieter. So the fact that she, she kind of had this reason to, at least in her mind, to, to really dislike Mava and kind of the results of that, that was kind of an in interesting um, thing to write and to imagine, like, how would she really feel? Um, you know, some people think that she's a villain, but I don't think she's a villain. I think she's just uh, a woman who has been wronged and is, is understandably um, very upset with the situation. Yeah, Hilda was the one who was supposed to marry Peter and now she's kind of, um, she's, she's trying to figure out who Mava is. Yeah, yeah, she, she, she was having an affair with Peter. Um, and then, and then suddenly he, he kind of disappeared on her and she didn't understand why and then found out that, oh, he's, he's married someone else. So. I find the ending quite interesting is, um, it's a well a really great ending but it's also I wanna, don't want to say it's a cliffhanger but then you know it, it's almost like an open ended to me um, so my question is do you have a follow up book or will that ever be a possibility okay so so the ending I had a different ending and, oh. and in my mind yeah my in my mind it was going to be um, a slightly different ending that would lead to a second book. But now <laughs> I, it's kind of, you know, it's, it, it does have a, a conclusion to it, even though it's ambiguous. I know for some people uh, they love the poetry of it, but other people are like, I want to know exactly what happens. <laughs> so, um, but the book is very watery and fluid in all of its telling. So the ending, you know, for it to suddenly be very specific felt not quite right. So it does end in a very poetic way. Do, is there a possibility that there would be more? More? Yes, I would think there would be a possibility. Um, but at this stage, I'm 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 working on another book, but not it's not connected. So who knows? <laughs> Maybe some. I can see that. Yeah, and then um, we learn a few um, Norwegian words in in the book. And do you speak Norwegian fluently, or you just research them? No, I, I am not at all um, fluent. My grandparents were, um, and my dad was more or less raised by his grandparents. So uh, there definitely was language in the family, but not at all. Like I, <laughs> I'm learning, you know, as I was writing, I was learning Norwegian. So yeah. 
Gotcha. Yeah, that that was pretty fun to read. And uh, as I was reading, and I some of the words reminded me of similar words in Iceland, Icelandish. I'm like, oh yeah, because Iceland was under Norway for a little while, and then under Denmark, and you know their history just well a, a little messy, just like every other country, right? <laughs> Well, I want to go into your new book in a little bit, but before we go into that, um, you had a funny yeah. um, part in the book. Yeah, I wanted to read a tiny little snippet and hear your um, the thoughts behind what you were thinking, like what you were thinking when you were writing it. That was a very weird way of saying that. <laughs>、um, okay, so it's on page two o three for anyone listening. And it's this scene when、um, the the doctor comes in to see Lida because there's water leaking. So,、um, okay, I watch as the two men crouch down to see the large puddle growing before their eyes. Doctor Jacobson takes off his glasses, leaning even closer. He sniffs the air, then puts a finger into the water. Tastes it and raises his eyebrows. Oh my! I wonder how. Our daughter seems to ha- be having some trouble holding her bladder lately. Perhaps an infection of some sort. Nay, Peter, it's not urine. This will sound strange, but it appears to be salt water. That's impossible. Where would it come from? Sea water doesn't just appear. Is there a leak somewhere? The roof, perhaps. I curl up my knees and lie on my side, holding my legs tightly as the men search everywhere: the roof, the walls, the bed, everywhere except where it's actually coming from. So, that was a really like funny scene for me to read. I was wondering what your, what was on your mind while you were writing. Again, without giving away any spoilers, that's <laughs>、um, so. Lida, she's 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 partially、um, of the sea because her mother is from the sea, and she still doesn't quite understand why that would be happening. So in the scene,、um, her 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 body is literally leaking seawater. And so,、um, I wanted I wanted that scene to really kind of you know bring that home for the reader that oh my goodness she is the sea, but also what it would be like to try to hide the fact that you are are leaking like literally leaking salt water out of your body but like puddles of it, and and how would you hide that if it's just you know leaking all over the floor and under the bed and. And and they can't imagine that this you know the men in the scene can't、um, they're trying to look for a logical region reason、uh, for for this problem, and they can't imagine that the you know that there is no logic to it. The doctor tells Peter that it's probably perspiration. Yeah, Peter yeah. says there's no way it can be sweat. There's it's too much water. Yeah, yeah. So、mm-hmm. they're looking for a scientific reason to. To pin down why 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 this is happening instead of actually imagining that it is possible for you know Lida to to be the sea, yeah. 
So and in my mind, like in the, in the book, I think as I was writing that whole part and also any, any part that has water, like to me, water is such a symbol of, of the sacred feminine. Like it really, you know, historically through, through the ages, right? Um, water has always been attached to a kind of feminine principle. And, and that's not to say that it's female. It's just, you know, that's, a, that's kind of a, everybody has feminine and masculine principles, right? In, in, in their existence. Like we, we embody these traditional, you know, things that, that actually aren't attached to um, biological sex, right? And so I really wanted it to, the water represent, um, you know, that sacred feminine force, right? That goddess energy. And so this is a scene where we see the men trying to like explain it away, right? Mansplain it as, as we say now. And, and it's, it's not accurate. It's not really what's happening. Because if they did really believe the real explanation, which is that there's this inexplicable, like magical explanation, then, then Lyda and Mava would probably be cast out because magic is seen as evil. And so they can't, I think, we, we see that, like, it's kind of, like, coming to a head and whatever is wrong, like, needs to be fixed very quickly or something really yeah. bad is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, re- the very real threat, it would be that the doctor says, which he kind of later on in the scene um, implies and, and says, maybe we need to do something else, which is, we need to take them somewhere. We need to put them in into a hospital or in, in into you know some kind of institution so we can examine both of them to figure out what is going on in their bodies. And so that, especially in that time period, right, with with hysteria being a very real uh, phenomenon, all you know in many countries um, across Europe, uh, where you know anything anything deemed too female was thought to be hysterical. And so that's the real threat is that he would take them away. God knows what would happen. Um, if our reader, our listeners wants to learn more about you, your books, and your thought process on writing the book, where can they go? Where can we find those information? Yeah, so um, I have a website and it's just michellegrierson.com. And, and there's, there's lots of information about the book and, and about... Um, just recent reviews um, and and you can contact me through the website. I'm also on Instagram. So it's just Michelle Grayson 11. Um, yeah, those are the, the best places to go. Awesome. Thank you. And now your new book, the book that you're writing. Can you give us a little snippet of um, it? Oh my goodness. What can I give you? Well, uh, so it's, it's also set in the 19th century. So it is going to be another historical fiction. It is, it's not Norway. It, it, it's shaped up to be something in uh, late 19th century Paris. Um, interestingly enough, we just finished talking about Lada using, uh, you know, institutions and hysteria. It is going to delve into that um, because um, 1880s to 90s hysteria was a real uh, discovery from you know the medical world and they were doing lots of interesting and very I would say questionable 
experience on women in institutions. So it's going to have a little bit of that, as well as the main character. Uh, she's a medium and she, she can channel ghosts. So, so it's going to have a, a little bit of um, something about the spirit world and as well as uh, a little bit about madness as well. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this takes place a little after, after becoming Lida. Yeah. And then when can we expect this book? <laughs> I love it. Uh, talk about pressure, right? I'm just in the beginning stages right now. So I would say it's still going to be a while because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still working on the very first draft. So, so it'll probably be a while, but um, you know, when I, when I get closer, I will kind of put stuff out on, on my website. So <laughs> yeah, it'll probably be at least, you know, a year to two years for sure. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm not a writer, so unfortunately I don't know how long it takes, but I'm sure it's, you know, it's different timeline for different people. Are you someone that likes to plan yeah. out everything or it, it looks like this book was pretty planned out cause it had to be with all the perspectives and flashbacks and everything, but do you do a lot of planning? So I, I'm the way I work usually is very intuitive. I kind of just, um, kind of allow the characters to tell me what what section of the book I'm writing so that Lida did you know that that whole process was very interesting because it did come out almost like quilt patches so I had these sections and I had to figure out how they were pieced together um was definitely a a, a challenging process to figure out the time flips and and to figure out how to layer the book but but I really wanted it, you know, you pointed out at the beginning of the interview that that it's separated by what was and what is and what could be or what will be. And that whole philosophy is very much Norse, old Norse uh, concept of time. So, so that basically all times are one time and they layer over top of each other like a folded blanket, right? So that, and that's kind of what I wanted the book to feel like. So that every all of it is happening in one time, even though we know, you know, our logical brains need to to figure out, oh, but that must be the past and that must be the present. Um, when I originally wrote the book, it was all written in present tense, even though there were time flips. But I had to go back and and kind of tweak that because it was confusing for the reader. <laughs> so that was an interesting process, very challenging as well. Um, yeah, so I like, you know, I, in terms of my process, I'm much more intuitive. I follow what what is most urgent. And then I go back and go, okay, how does this connect? I'm trying to plan more, but it, I just, I think that's just, it goes against the grain of, of my, <laughs> my, my creativity. I really love to just allow that creative voice to just explore for a bit. So, so that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm, with the second book, I'm, I'm really letting it just follow uh, where it wants to go. And then, and then I'll go back and kind of like shape it a little bit. Cool. Awesome. And then with this new book, since it takes place in Paris, um, I'm assuming you're going to have to do quite a bit of research on France and nearby countries. Yeah. 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 So um, that's what I'm, I'm reading right now. I have so many books on the go that are all about that time period about spiritualism about the medical world about insane asylums like just tons of stuff lots of really good good fodder for narratives 
So the book has so many references to the Norse gods. Odin is a god that appears as a black raven. And and then there's Freyja. Freya. Who has like bright red hair and um and then there's the Christian Jesus. So I was wondering like was there some of that in your life where like you had this like dichotomy between like different religions and or like in your family history maybe um that's a great question I so so my parents were raised Christian um and when when they had me they kind of made the decision to just encourage me to to just be a, a seeker right like so they didn't they did not impose church on me. They did not impose a particular, um, you know, way of thinking. So I, I had a, a childhood where I was very fascinated by spirituality and I was very fascinated by um, faith and belief uh, in different traditions. So, and I also was very aware of, of the history of, of women and being burned at the stake, you know, as witches or hung in a tree or, or whatever, um, hundreds of years of, of that kind of persecution. So I guess if, if you had to pin me down as a particular, you know, kind of spirituality, I would definitely say that I'm more, much more pagan, much more, uh, witchy, <laughs> uh, but I do have that, uh, Christian, um, kind of background with, with my parents. So, so it's a real eclectic kind of wide, wide, mm-hmm. You mentioned that your, I think your grandma wasn't Christian, but the rest of your, her family went to church every weekend and she just like refused to go. Yeah, yeah that was, uh, so I don't think she ever, con- you know, ever said, I'm not a Christian because I don't think that would have been a very smart thing to say in a very small town. But my grandfather would tow all eight children to church every Sunday and, and she never budged. She was adamant that she was not going into that building. So, um, yeah, I feel like (laughs) religion was, has always had kind of a, a very, um, fraught, uh, place in, in, in my family, particularly with women, for sure. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Mava, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think for Mava too, cause she's not really of this world, this whole, um, organized religion is just so against her wild self. Like she just doesn't understand it. Okay. Well, uh, I think those are all of our thoughts. Did you have any questions for us or anything? No, I, I think this was awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I was so excited to get your message on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for answering back. Well, that ends our interview. And again, thank you so much, Michelle. All right. How was that interview, Sonali? Yeah, I, I can't believe how lucky we are to in, be interviewing so many amazing authors. 
And I also can't believe how Michelle hasn't gotten more publicity than she has. Like, when I first saw this book, I think it was on an Instagram um, list of books that were coming out soon. And this was back in February or something. So it was on my radar for months. And it came out in April. So I had already been waiting for it for a few months by the time it came out. And I didn't realize that it wasn't a very well-known book until I tried looking for it in the library and it wasn't there. So clearly it's very underrated. It's, if you're looking for like a gem of a book that nobody else knows, you know, like the all the punk songs before punk was cool. Like you can be one of the those types of people who's like reading like such a cool book that nobody else knows about. And I, I would love like other people to read it so like everyone can talk about it with us and appreciate how cool it is. Definitely. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I couldn't find the book in San Diego County Libraries at all. I found one copy, one physical copy and San Diego City Libraries. So definitely this is very underrated. And and the book is such a great book. It's so magical and it's so flowy. And the, the syntax is just like water, like Michelle Rearson has said. Um, it's phenomenal. And definitely I think it will pick up soon. Or at least I hope that people will pick up the book. And they, it's, it's just a good book. So, Sonali, would you ever consider rereading it again? Yeah, I I feel like I would. I bought an actual copy of the book intending to reread it again. And I had a feeling that it would be something that I could read whenever I felt like um, I needed strength or especially, like, um, if I was feeling down, like not confident or something there like I mentioned before there's another book that I read like in times like that and so I was hoping this could be kind of a continuation of that um and I I do feel like what Michelle was saying earlier in the interview where she was talking about the what is what could be what was is kind of like a quilt coming together and you can only see patches of the quilt at a time but then when you step back and look at it from a distance you can see the whole quilt and so i feel like when we're reading it the first time there's so many patches that we miss and like so many layers that we're probably not seeing so hopefully if we reread it once or twice we would see more of the like tiny little details and appreciate more of it i can see that yeah well, uh, if you guys have listened to our podcast so far, or you haven't listened to, I'm not much of a re-reader, so I don't really re-read books. And I think I um, I have mentioned it before in like maybe episode two that I only reread one book in my life, and then that was The Hobbit. And then, ironically, I read that like five times. So, wow, that's I, I know. So, uh, I don't think I will read this again, but that's not because it's not good, it's just my personal preference, I suppose. Yeah, is it because you already remember everything, or not necessarily? I don't remember everything, sometimes I just I just don't know. Sometimes I end up picking up the same book again and then I will 
reread you know the first chapter or two i'm like wait a minute this seems so familiar and then and then i will like read a random chapter in the middle i'm like oh now i remember the story again so maybe perhaps because i already know the story i don't want to read it again because i know how it will end and i know the journey that it takes to get there already so that's probably why i don't like to read things over again I I think especially this past year or two, I've had an urge to like reread a lot of like young adult fiction. I think maybe because of like all the weird things happening in the world, then you just want to like reread some of the stuff, especially young adult books, because I feel like young adults are like going through a lot of the things that a lot of us adults are going through, but they. Sometimes, like, they deal with it better. So, my question is, what feelings or emotions did Becoming Lida invoke for you? Really good question. I think a lot of things. It's just, I mean, uh, throughout the book, you know, different parts definitely invoke a lot of, fe- uh, a lot of different feelings, right? Like, there's, uh, there's love, there's frustration, there's fear, there's um, just grief um, all throughout the book, like at certain point. But overall, I would say it, it makes me think of just who I am and of finding myself, I suppose, and my own journey of finding myself and it's how it's never ending. And, you know, at the end that even the book ending itself was kind of ambiguous and I'm like well that's kind of how life is and it just makes me think about myself and my life a little bit yeah I think it's definitely a book that makes you think of your identity and your journey and where you're going and um and I think that's why I like books like this a lot I think if I were to pick an emotion, I would probably say something like peace because it seems like something I would, it, it feels like the same emotion I might feel at like a retreat or something where you're thinking about all of those things, but you're also really deeply connected to the environment around you. so. Lida is really connected to the ocean, but maybe we're connected to, like, the forest or the grass or the dirt or whatever. We're just, like, really in peace with everything around us, and we're not trying to fight it. We're just trying to be one with everything. All right, there you have it, folks. We are so thankful for Michelle to join us on our podcast, Her Writing is so phenomenal, and she's just a lovely, lovely person, a a graceful author who just knows her words. And if you guys want to buy her books, which I really, really recommend you guys do, go on her website, go on any bookstores, go on Amazon if you need to. You know, she her books is available everywhere. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Give us a shout out. Give us a comment. Give us a review. You know what to do. And there you have it. Bye, folks. <laughs>